Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. It's hard to imagine that we're going to enter into another year already. It seems like 2017 just came. I don't know where it whizzed by, but it's gone. So tomorrow we're going to begin 2018. And usually at the end of the year, what I like to do is preach a message that really instructs us and helps us to examine our spiritual walk with God. So I'm going to call this exam time. Just what you wanted to hear, right? A time to do a self-evaluation. A time to do spiritual inventory, look into our hearts, locate ourselves, find out where we're at in our walk with God, determine whether or not we've grown over this past year, and uh, be committed to growing in this upcoming year. Nothing wrong with that. Amen? Look at the book of Lamentations. I want you to see that the scriptures really instruct us to do that very thing. This is from the English Standard Version. Let us test and examine our neighbors, our friends, especially our wives, and husbands, our ways, and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Now notice, let us examine our ways. Jeremiah was lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem. And so what he's encouraging them to do is to look within themselves. You know, the Israelites were always rebelling against God. We know that. But let's not point the finger. (laughs) Amen? Let's not point the finger. Anybody can do that. But do a self-examination. But now notice the Apostle Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is verse 28. And this is from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Let a man thoroughly examine himself. And only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Once again, we're instructed to do what? Examine ourselves. Take a spiritual inventory. But my main text is 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13 and verse 5, look what it says. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Put yourselves to the test. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Now, with that statement, once you say it raises some questions in our minds, Questions that we should really have answered. It seems like as the scriptures teach us, examining ourselves should be an ongoing activity in all of our lives. We should always be evaluating ourselves, finding out where we're at spiritually, locating ourselves, because we want to be certain that we're moving forward toward that prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we want to ask certain questions. And number one, first question we want to ask is, why should I examine myself? He's writing to a church, and he's telling the people of this church, examine yourself, first reason, to see whether or not you're in the faith. 
Are you really in the faith? Now, why would he say that to a church, the Corinthian church? Why would he say that? Well, the reason that he said that is because our salvation is more important than anything else in this world. Would you agree? There's nothing more important than knowing that we're in the faith. Nothing at all. Nothing more important than knowing where we will spend our eternal destination. Nothing whatsoever is more important than that. But once again, we're talking about him writing to a church. Why would he say that to a church of Christians? Well, see, there needs to be some background information shared. You understand that he wrote two letters to the Corinthians, and we, some believe that there were even more. And he wrote to them and said some things to them that maybe they didn't want to hear. They came from a very, you say, immoral background. And if you recall, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, those two chapters, he's talking about immorality. He's talking about not making yourself one with a prostitute. He's talking about some of the characteristics that they were manifesting. And so he's writing to them and he's trying to explain to them, those are not Christ-like qualities or characteristics. And so they were not happy with Paul. And they were questioning his apostleship. And they were questioning his authority. What gives you the right to tell us how to live? Who do you think you are? He said, look, if you feel that way, then you better check within yourself, examine your heart to determine whether or not you are truly in the faith. You see, Paul knew Satan's number one weapon is deception. The power of deception. He began that in the garden with Eve. Did he not? And Paul also said, lest by any means you too would be deceived. He's talking to the same Corinthian people, saying that Satan can appear even as an angel of light and deceive you into thinking certain things. And I'll tell you what, the worst thing could be is this, that a person's deceived into thinking that he's saved when he's really not. Wow. What a bold statement. But that's what he was saying to them. If you're truly in the faith and you would know my authority and you would know my apostleship, you would know that for a fact. He said, so examine your heart and locate yourself. Find out where you're coming from. And why is that important in any church? Because of these deceptions. And I'll tell you what, I was there for 24 years of my life. Okay. What is that? I'm not saved just because I go to church. I could sit in a chicken coop for a month and not be a chicken. I could sit in a garage for 10 years and not be a car. I sat in church for 24 years. I was not born again. Amen? So just because I belong to a church doesn't mean I'm saved. Well, but I display good moral standards. That's a wonderful thing too, but that doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you have good moral standards and live by them, there are many people out there in the world that do that, but it doesn't mean they're saved. They don't even believe in Jesus Christ, and they practice that. Yeah, but I do some work at the church. I know a guy who did a lot of work at the church, but he wasn't saved. And when he was approached and asked, would you like to be born again and give your heart and life to Jesus? He said, I'm okay, the way I am. And so on and so forth. Can you imagine that? And the list goes on and on. 
There can be people in a church less like that Corinthian church. Doesn't mean they're saved just because they attended. Because even they practice good morals, etc. Because they were baptized in water doesn't mean they're saved. I was baptized in water when I was an infant. That doesn't mean that I'm saved. But we're deceived into thinking that we are. So what I'm saying is Satan will use deception more than anything else to make people think that is well with your soul when it's really not well with your soul. But if he can make you think that, you won't do anything about it to change. So deception is his number one weapon, his strategy that he uses to make people think it's okay. All right. So. We need to evaluate ourselves to determine whether or not we are truly in the faith. And that's what he's telling these individuals to do. Then also, secondly, be sure that Christ is in us. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 27, here the Apostle Paul writes and says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, if you're in the faith, then Christ is in you, and he's your only hope of future glory. But if he's in you, what's he doing in you? Is he changing you? Is he giving you life? Is he influencing you in the direction that you're going in? Look at the book of Romans. Look what Paul says. And then this is from the English Standard Version. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, when Jesus comes in, he makes a difference. He's saying when he comes in, you have his life in you. And because you have his life on the inside, he will influence how we live how we talk, our behavior, our conduct, our character. Is there an amen out there to that? Doesn't he make a difference? Are you not a changed person? Are you not transformed when you accept Christ? Do you not have the proof of the evidence? You're putting yourself to the test that I know that Christ is in me. I know I'm of the faith and I know that Christ is in me. Why? Because I'm not the same me before I ask them to come into me. I know I'm not the same me. Amen. Number three, to be certain that we're not disqualified is what he said. Number three, be sure that you're not disqualified. What does he mean by that? In the King James, it says a reprobate, a very strong, strong word that you're not a reprobate, an outcast. Well, there could be a twofold meaning of this, but also, you know, I, I think we can focus in mainly on what we're talking about here this morning on the, the main one. You want to pass the test to make sure that Christ is in you and that you are in Christ. So do the test and find out. We'll talk about that in a moment. But find out whether or not he's in you and you're in faith. Okay. So it's important that we look within ourselves and make certain, certain that we're born of the Spirit and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why? You know what? If you're out there in the world, I think sometimes it's even easier than those that grow up in the church. 
You know why? Because children that grew up in the church all their lives just accept the fact that they've always been in church all their lives. And there's not much of a change because they've always embraced supposedly the truth. Okay? Where someone that's a sinner out there in the world, when they come, boom, and that change takes place, all of a sudden they're a completely different person. And so if a child grows up in church and, well, they were baptized because the parents want them to get baptized, and they did all these different things, mental assent is destructive. Mental assent is also deceptive. For 24 years, I agreed that Jesus lived, that Jesus died on the cross for me. I agreed to it. That's called mental assent. I assented to it. I believed in it as far as assenting is concerned. But you know what? I didn't know I had to actually receive it into my spirit. So I'm growing up thinking that, yeah, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. And then when someone came where I worked in this plant in Youngstown and said, do you know you have to be born again to go to heaven? I said, really? Are you crazy? How can I go back into my, I actually said this, how can I go back into my mother and be born again? I thought, you're a lunatic. Well, wait a minute, for 24 years I'm in a church, and for 24 years, you know, I'm listening to all this and I say I agree to it. You know, you could agree to something, but not really have it in your heart, not really believe it. It's what the heart man believes to righteousness, and what the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Can you see that? And so, it comes from the heart. And so it's important that we recognize the fact that I don't want to be disqualified. Why? Because I just grew up thinking that it was okay. I'll never forget this testimony of Kenneth Hagin when he died and he was on his way into the flames of hell. And he came to the porthole of hell itself when he heard a voice out of heaven that shook the very caverns of the damned. And then he was drawn back up out of that place of darkness into the light and he went back into his body. This happened to him three times in like a seven minute period or something like that. On the third time as he began to ascend the third time, what did he say? Lord, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. Listen why he said I'm going the wrong way. Because I belong to the church. I was baptized in water, he said. I shouldn't be going down. I should be going up. Then he had, I had the revelation and said, oh my goodness, this was only a mental practice that I was involved in. Jesus, he said, I'm calling out to you and to save me. He began his sinner's prayer in that ascent back into his body. He came up, he said, in front of the porch. Then he went back into his body and that's where he finished his sinner's prayer. And that's when he knew he was born again. So deception is a powerful tool that Satan will use to make you think, to make me think, to make how many people think I'm truly saved if you're only assenting to it. So it's important that what do we do? Examine ourselves. And again, we'll talk about that in just a moment, a little bit more. But now look at the next one. To know our spiritual condition. Look at James chapter 1. And this is from the Amplified. And verse 22. But be doers of the word... Obey the message and not merely listen to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Hmm. Keep that in mind. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he is like a man who looks carefully at his own natural face in a mirror, for he thoroughly observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. 
But he who looks carefully into the faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it, being not a heedless list listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in his doing this life of obedience. So notice how James is making it very clear that if we have faith, there will be evidence of our faith. And we're not to be deceived into thinking that, okay, I'm saying that I said a sinner's prayer when I was whatever age and all that. But there's no fruit, no evidence whatsoever. Why am I being so focused on this? I'll be honest with you. I don't want one person who's ever listened to me preach be lost. Because I never gave the full message. And I can't determine whether... One person or another person is just mentally assenting to the truth or truly from the heart receiving it and obeying it. But I can help us do what? Examine yourself. Do you remember that time you truly called on the Lord from your heart? I do. October of 1976. Got on my knees and I asked Jesus to come in. Not because someone told me to do it, but because I knew I needed to do it. And there's evidences of that as we go on. Look at the next question. Second question. Who sets the standard? Who sets the standard? Anyone know who sets the standard? Well, let's put it this way. I don't. You don't. It's not by our standard. Okay. Certainly not ours. Because look at Luke. Chapter 18. Here we have two men. And this one guy is going to set his own standard as far as his being justified before God. And you'll see his standard right here. And the other guy set no standard. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Hmm. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, he set his own standard. I give money, I pray, I uh, give to the poor, you know, I go to church, and I do all these different things. I'm not like that dog over there. That old tax collector, that old mean individual. He set his own standard. Do you remember Apostle Paul who thought it was okay to kill Christians? and persecute Christians. He set his own standard. He took matters into his own hands. But what did he find out? His standard was not right. Look at 2 Corinthians. I believe it's chapter 10, verse 18. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That's the one. And who did Jesus say was justified? Not the Pharisee, but the tax collector. What was the difference? The attitude of the heart, was it not? See, it wasn't all his actions that would save him or justify him. 
It was this man's faith from the heart that justified him. So when people are led or deceived into thinking that, okay, I go to church, I put in my weekly you know, time at the church, maybe I throw a dollar in the collection and all that, and I'm, I'm just doing all these, going through these motions, and maybe I went through these rituals I'm supposed to be going through, whatever they may be, and oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't buy it. Don't believe it. You know, maybe one day just get on your face. Just say, God, I'm giving you my life. Not my 45 minutes on Sunday, but my life. And in, re in return, I want you in my life. I want saved. Okay, number two. So it's not my standard. It's not the standard of others as well. Other people have their standards. You realize that. And this is what they think, and this is what they believe. Well, there was a time when I was first saved, and I didn't know a whole lot, but I knew that I was really born again. I knew it. I knew I had the life in me, of God in me. And I went to an individual who was an elder of the church, who really spent a lot of time at the church and worked at the church, and gave himself to the work of the church. And a very individual nice individual who really had good moral standards. But I said to him one day, I said, you know, Jesus said we must be born again. He looked at me and never forget, tapped me on the leg and just said, look, I think you're a little too far with this. I just want you to know this. If you just do good, if you live a good life, go to church and be nice to people, You'll be okay when you die. This is a man who was in church for 40 years. And I said to him, but Jesus said, I must be born again. I don't want to disclose this, but he's the one that called me a communist. <laughs> really, he called me a communist because I said, you must be born again. And I quoted the scripture, but he had no you know, understanding of the scripture whatsoever. Why am I saying this? To help us understand that, look, deception is Satan's major weapon. And if that man could be deceived into thinking because he's good, because he does work in the church, because he puts in his weekly time, and etc., that that saves him, he'll be lost. Well, I've got some great news for you. I led him to Christ before he died. He and his wife both, I led to Jesus before they died. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is from the Amplified Version of the Bible. But as for me personally, it matters very little to me that I should be put on trial by you on this point, And that you or any other human tribunal should investigate and question and cross-question me. I do not even put myself on trial and judge myself. I am not conscious of anything against myself and I feel blameless but I am not vindicated and acquitted before God on that account it is the Lord himself who examines and judges me you see what he's saying it doesn't matter what other people think if I would listen to that fellow and just said well it's just okay to be good just as long as you put in your 45 minutes on a Sunday morning you can live like you want the rest of the week doesn't really matter just make sure that when you come on Sunday you do your thing 
You'll be okay. And by the way, they just don't steal or cheat or hurt people. You'll be okay. I'd have been lost with that kind of counsel or advice. Jesus said we must be born again. And he said that to whom? Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law who needed to be born again as well. Right? Okay, so who then sets the standard? By what standard do we determine these things? In other words, how can I test myself? By what standard? What's the exam going to look like? Well, the third thing is God sets the standard. God sets the standard by his word. Thank God for this book. It is the only road map to eternity. People can say what they want, but it's been preserved over all these years. It is the number one selling book forever and will continue to be because it is the word of Almighty God. Look in the book of um, John, John's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning at verse 44. And this is the English Standard Version that just as Jesus speaking. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whosoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What's going to judge us? The word that he has spoken. The word is our judge. So that means the word is our standard that we have to live by. And remember, Timothy, what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 15. And know, and how from your childhood you have had a knowledge of and been acquainted with the sacred writings. Why are they called sacred? You consider something sacred that points you the way to eternity and glory? I do. These are sacred writings which are able to instruct you and give you the understanding for salvation which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. That is through the leading of the entire human personality on God in Christ Jesus in absolute trust and confidence in his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. Notice his power, his wisdom, and his goodness. In his goodness, he sent us Jesus. And the gospel is the power of God to those who are saved. Amen. And so he says, look, this is the only way you're going to know it, Timothy, is by the scriptures. They are holy. They are sacred. They reveal to us the way of life. They show us the way of salvation. And guess what? If we're interested, here it is. If, if I, I, one lady I was talking to one time, and I was quoting some scripture, she goes, you know what? I, I have forgotten more scripture than you can ever remember. I said, really? Okay. In other words, she was no longer reading the book. She was really starving to death spiritually and didn't know it. And probably in actuality, wasn't even saved. See, we can have a head knowledge of this Bible, but it doesn't mean we're saved. How about this one? This fellow was on the radio for 40 years. 
At the age of 72, he retired from his radio broadcast. But the final year before he retired from the radio broadcast, you know what he said? He was a preacher on, the, on a Christian station. He said, I have preached this Bible for all these years, but I want you to know that I just got saved. He says, I taught it intellectually as I learned it in seminary. Line upon line. I taught it historically, traditionally, but I didn't know I had to be born again. But I want you all to know that I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I have now been born again, and I'm sorry that I didn't know this before. So can someone have had knowledge of the Bible and not be born again? Absolutely. No doubt about it. So we don't want to play any kind of roulette with our eternity because it's a long time and there's no second chance I don't want to just be going through the, through, through the motions and I don't want any young person to grow up thinking that all you got to do is just come to church once in a while and you're good your parents Christians you're good your grandparents Christians too all you really got it made I heard this song when I first got saved it really just resonates with me over the years of my life if you get to heaven before I do just bore a hole and pull me through that was one of the verses. It doesn't work that way. You realize that. Okay. Next, the last question that we ask. What questions should we ask ourselves to put ourselves to the test? To prove to ourselves? So we know for ourselves. You realize that Christianity is a knowing relationship with God. These things, John said, were written that you may know that you have eternal life. That you know that Christ is in you. That you know when you leave this realm, you will be with him in glory. You are certain. There's no doubt whatsoever. You know that you know that you know. So what questions do we ask ourselves? Well, number one, have I received Christ for myself? Have I truly received Christ into my heart for myself? Not because someone twisted my arm or you just, someone just kept witnessing to you and annoying you to the final you just said, okay, I'll say the prayer. Then you said the prayer and walked away and he thought, I led that person to Christ and you went away and just said, I didn't even mean it. You say, come on preacher, are you telling me that someone would really do that? Absolutely. Because I was counseling with two individuals at one time. And I said to the person, you must be born again. And the person says, okay, after two or three weeks or four weeks into counseling, said, okay, I will do this. And the person then said he did it. Another month went by, six weeks went by. And when I saw no fruit whatsoever at all, I said to this person, I said to him, did you really accept Christ into your heart when I prayed that prayer with you and you prayed that prayer with me? Or were you just doing it for her? Know what he said? For her. I didn't mean a word of it. That's what he said. Didn't mean a word of it. See, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be something happening on the inside. If you meant it from your heart, and not just up here in the head, changes take place within, and you become a different person. Okay, look at John um, 1. Would we do that? 1, verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, 
to them, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What's the difference between the two? One received them, and the other received them not. There's the distinction between the two. Have I really received? If I received Him, I've become a son of God with all that comes with that relationship with the Father. What did, John, what did Jesus say in John 3, 3 through 7? This is Nicodemus, what he tells Nicodemus. This is a teacher of the law. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, a double verily means this is really, really important, Nicodemus. I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, this teacher, says unto him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I said to thee, you must, you must, you must be born again. I'm stopping short there, but he went on to tell Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, if you don't understand these things, being a teacher of the law, how can you know any other deeper things if you don't know this? This man was religious, and he's saying you're lost. Religion doesn't save us. All of Judaism was the transition into Christianity. Do you realize that? That's what was supposed to happen. But they received him not, so he left them and went to whom? The Gentiles. I don't mean forsook them altogether. We know that. They're his people. We understand that. But he had to go take the gospel to the Gentiles and make them jealous. Is what he did. So they didn't receive him. No matter how religious they were, they didn't receive him. He was all up here and they re just rejected him. The light that came into the world. Who made the world? Their Messiah was rejected. Number two. Second question. Do I have the witness of the Spirit? This is so important to all of us. Do I have the witness of the Spirit? Romans chapter 8, 16, English Standard Version of the Bible says this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If we are born again, we will have the witness of the Spirit. I know in my heart. I can't pull it out and show it to you, but I know that I know. How do I know? I heard this preacher one time say, the witness of the Spirit. You know, we're led by the Spirit of God. We have the witness of the Spirit. This thing on the inside of us. Try to explain it in words, and it's very difficult to try to express it to somebody else what this witness is like. But he said it this way. He said, when you have a check in your spirit, let's look at it that way. It's like washing your feet with your socks on. Boy, that stuck with me. You ever try to wash your feet with your socks on? Kind of a yucky yuck. Whoa. Well, he was saying this. Say this with me. I'm saved, born of the spirit. I'm washed in the blood. And if you get that yucky something down here, you better heed. You better listen to what it's saying to you. Because you've got to get your heart right with God. But if you say, I'm washed in the blood, I'm an heir of God, I'm a joiner with Jesus, and you have this like velvety, like, ah, oh, glow in your spirit, hallelujah, I know, I know, I know, I know that I know that I know I'm born again. The witness of the Spirit, He's in me, witnessing to me, letting me know I'm a child of God. And then thirdly, what about this? Do I possess the marks of my discipleship. Do I possess these marks of discipleship? And what are they? Number one, everybody say love. Say it this way, divine love. You know, Romans 5.5 5 says that when we're born again, the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our heart the love of God. 
right? In other words, there's an explosion of the love of God in the heart of the person who's born again. And I'll tell you what, I had that explosion. I know that I did. I saw people differently. I saw animals differently. I saw the trees and the flowers and all that differently from within my heart. Look at 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, look at the first two words. We know. Isn't that what we want? We want to know. You can't tell me some of you uh, parents out there are concerned about your child as to whether or not they are truly born again. Not religious, not going to church because you make them go to church, but truly, truly born again. We know that we have passed over out of death into life, because everybody's dead until they pass out of death into life. How do I know? By the fact that we love the brethren, our fellow Christians. He who does not love, he who does, who does not love abides, remains, is held and kept continually in, uh-oh, spiritual death. Do I have the witness of love in me? And here's the distinction. I've got that love in me, but don't let your emotions override it. Because, you know, when you have that love of God inside you, you will love as he loved now, does that mean that everybody's going to be lovely that you love? No. There may be some that are far from lovely that you love, but this kind of love loves the unlovely. This kind of love loves even your enemy. This kind of love rises up no matter how people treat you because it's the love of God. So sometimes people will say, well, I really don't like that person, or even more strongly, I hate that person. Whoa. Wait a minute. A Christian should never say you hate anything or anyone. You realize that? We should never do that. Don't use that terminology. I may not like something, but I certainly don't hate someone. That's for sure. And this one minister was ministering to this one woman who thought she lost her salvation because she hated this person, could not stand to be around this person, absolutely hated this person. He said, sister, let me tell you something right now. Do you from your heart hate this person? Or is it just because your feelings and emotions that are telling you that you don't like or that you hate this person? Here's the test. Sit down with me and let's talk. Now tell me right now when I say, say, this, say this with your own mouth. I hate so-and-so. She said, I hate so-and-so. Now tell me what your gut's telling you. It's like washing my feet with my socks on. In other words, that's the Holy Ghost in you. That's the life of God in you telling you by your spirit, you don't hate that person from your heart. That's your feelings and emotions that you see are telling. He's giving you the check. You don't mean that from your heart. You're just saying that. Don't let your feelings rise up. And, and override what's on the inside of you. Let the life and the love of God flow out of you. But the point is, when we're born again, we will have this capacity to love beyond ourselves. Because the love of God is in our hearts. Look at the next verse in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Whosoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So it's also possible to be born of God because you have that love of God. But if you don't know God, you won't let the love let you love other people like you should. You don't really know him. What does he mean by that? God is love. Doesn't say God has love. God is love because God is love. And he put his love in us. Then obviously he's what love is all about. And it's up to us to do what? 
emulate that kind of love. So I should have this mark of love. If I'm truly born again, I should never hate anyone. I should never be in unforgiveness toward anyone, be bitter toward anyone, and let that spring up in me and defile me. That root of bitterness, I should love every, pe every person, all people. Okay, number two. Also, fruit bearing is another mark of our Christian experience. And so once again, not only is it de determining that we've been born again, but now we're living the life that he wants us to live. We're aligning ourselves. Look at John 15, verse 5. We're aligning ourselves with his life. I am the vine. You are the branches. You can say it this way. I'm the apple tree. You're the branches that the apples hang on. He that abides in me and I in him. If you abide in me and I'm living in you, the same will bring forth much fruit. What kind of fruit? If he's the apple tree, what kind of fruit am I going to produce? If he's a peach tree, what kind of, pe what kind of fruit am I going to produce? Okay. For without me, you can do nothing. So in other words, this is the acid test. This is the exam that I'm going to pass. I'm going to prove to myself because I'm in him and he does only good things because I'm in him and he does right things. If I'm in him and he's morally right, I will be producing the fruit of his morality. Can you say amen? The fruit of his character. Can you say amen? I can be producing everything that he produces because I'm a branch in the vine and I'm getting my life flow from the vine itself. It's flowing into me. I am not going to produce, what did James say? How, how can you produce bitter and sweet water from the same fountain? It's impossible. Right? Make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. So in other words, I'm taking a test. I'm testing myself. This is my personal exam. I'm taking spiritual inventory. Am I producing right things? Okay, I should be. If I'm not, then i got to make some corrections, don't I? So can you be born again and still produce bad things? Apparently we can. If you let the flesh dominate you, you will. Next one, good works. And you know that we would get to that, even though we don't get saved by them. And this is what I'm concerned about in our society today, in our Christian world today. This excessive grace teaching eliminates this. It does. So be careful. Don't be deceived by it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So notice you're not saved by works. Does he make that point clear? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So actually, one chapter says, it says we are his masterpiece. So when he recreated us, he gave us his love. He gave us his character. He gave us his divine nature. He gave us his life on the inside. And these good works should flow out from that relationship with him. They don't save us. They're the results of our salvation. And so from Monday to Saturday, we should be displaying these good works. And then look at Titus 2.14, King James Version, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people or a redeemed people, zealous of what? Good works. I told you I walked into a Bible bookstore one time and the fellow, I was buying a particular book and as I put it on the counter, he said to me, um, that's a good book. He said, but I want you to know that I've learned the absolute truth. I know it now and I'm so blessed by it. 
well, give it to me. I mean, if you, if you know the absolute truth and you know what it's all about to be a Christian, he goes, absolutely. He says, I used to struggle in my Christianity, but not any longer. He said, because I've learned about grace. I said, well, tell me what you learned about grace that will help me not to struggle since you don't struggle. He said, I've learned that Jesus covered it all. Sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. It doesn't matter how I live. He said, it doesn't matter if I commit adultery. It doesn't matter if I commit fornication. It doesn't matter if I do this, this. And he, went on that. he was sincere. He said, so look, guess what? I don't have to put forth any effort anymore. Because if it happens, it happens, but it's covered. So I guess if he kills somebody, it's covered. That was his concept of grace. But I read somewhere in Titus where it says, the grace of God teaches me this. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteous, sober, and holy in this present age. That's what it teaches me. Not this idea that it doesn't matter how I live. Hmm. Wow. Look what we have to put up against. Look, and then this next one. You ready for this one? Holiness. Holiness. Look at First Peter. Holiness. I, 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 I don't know where you're at. I pray that we're at the same place spiritually. I realize there's so much going on in this world today that it seems like even within the church, we're trying to bring the world into the church to keep our young people. To keep them, we've got to just look like the world. Bring everything into the church that the world does so that we can entice them. You know what I say about that? If Jesus isn't enough, then what is? If the gospel isn't enough, then what is? Are we really sincere? We're not going to candy coat this message. He wants your life. As simple as that. He wants you to bow your knee now or later, prefer now, and give your heart to him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. But that's a little boring. You know, we didn't. Really? Watch Jesus suffer. Watch Jesus die. Watch Jesus rise. Watch Jesus defeat death, hell, and the grave on a big screen, wide screen. And tell me that's boring. Mm. Get a revelation of what Jesus did for all of us. I'll tell you what, it's not boring. Look at this. Because you are children who obey God, don't live the kind of lives you once lived. Once you lived to satisfy your desires because you didn't know any better. But because the God who called you is holy, you must be holy in every aspect of your life. Scripture says be holy because I am holy. That's pretty clear, wouldn't you say? So does he expect us to live a holy, sanctified, separated life? Absolutely he does. And then look at this. If, this. if that wasn't enough, look at the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 14. This is the God's Word translation. Try to live peace, peacefully with everyone and try to live holy lives. Why? Because if you don't, you will not see the Lord. Wow. Wow. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, holiness, and we don't have time to get into all this, is within and without. It is positional. It is practical. 
You're holy if you accept Christ as your Savior because He's holy and you're holy on the inside. The life He's talking about, get that holiness on the inside to the outside. Work out your own salvation from the inside out with what? Fear and trembling. You know what? If we were to say something, I'm never going to forgive that person. You should be trembling. You should have a godly reverential fear about you right at that moment. If you have no consciousness whatsoever of it, guess what? The conscience is seared as with a hot iron. I can hold a grudge. I can be bitter. I can be unforgiving and all that. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm only the messenger. I'm just delivering to you what he said. And to me, it's for me, it's my standard too. He expects to have changed lives. Amen. And so we should dedicate ourselves to living holy lives and pleasing our heavenly father. Okay. The next one. Desire. The mark of desire. Really, we need to evaluate and test and determine our desires. What are our desires? What kind of desires do we have? Look at First Peter chapter 2. This has always been my desire the moment I got saved. Like newborn babes. Notice the example, the metaphor that he uses. Like newborn babes, you should crave, thirst for, earnestly desire the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk that by it, you may be nurtured and grow into completed salvation. What is that telling me? I'm to look at my spiritual life as a baby being born into the world. Can you imagine a baby being born into the world and just lying in its crib? And if it could speak, say something like, I really desire a lot of milk, Mom. Or, I'm not really that thirsty. But I have something going on in my stomach here that's just rumbling. I don't know what it is. But, you know, maybe there's something that would satisfy that. Why do you think he uses that example? Because babies, when they get hungry, you don't have to ask them anything. You can hear them screaming across the parking lot. And they're crying for what? Milk. Milk. Put something in my mouth. Help me. Right? You know what I want to instill within all of us, our young people included? A desire for the Word of God. I want the Word of God. I need the Word of God. I have to feed upon the Word of God. Heaven will pass away. Earth will pass away. But the Word of the Lord is forever. His words are life to me. health to all my flesh. It's a lamp to my feet. A light to my path. Thank God for the Word that saves, heals, delivers, and sets free. Oh, it's my meditation all the day long. He is saying as a baby desires and craves for the word, crave for it ourselves. But look at the next one, Psalm 63. First uh, three verses at least, uh, probably more, but anyhow, the first three. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee, my flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your power and your glory as I have seen you in the sanctuary because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. What is he saying? I need your glory. I want to see your power. I want to see your manifested presence. I want you. I want you. I Just like a, a child is crying out for milk, cry out with desire to know him better, to see his power, to see his glory. When it comes to holiness and this manifestation of the presence of God, just read Isaiah, the first six verses, chapter six, first six verses. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, full of glory. 
the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy. And I bowed my knees into the ground. I couldn't stand in the presence of His holiness. I've never seen anything so holy, holy, holy. What I'm saying, beloved, is we can't be flippant when it comes to our assembly of believers like this. We're not coming in here to have coffee and donuts and, and hand out some popcorn and just say, let's sit back and listen to the word. And Oh my, what are we losing here? When it comes to worship, let it be done in heaven as it is, on earth as it is in heaven. They bowed down before God. They prostrated themselves. They threw down their golden crowns with deep appreciation. You redeemed us by your blood. You redeemed us by your blood. Thank you. Thank you. You're holy. You're worthy. You deserve my praise. You deserve my respect. I reverence your presence. We love you, Jesus. We just love you. And thank you. We adore you. Hallelujah. And this next one. Quickly, this will be... Oh my goodness, I didn't realize it. Can we do this real quick? Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Do we love what God loves and hate what God hates? Did you hear that? Ask yourself the question, do I love what God loves and do I hate what God hates? You know he said abhor, what, abhor that which is evil and cleave to what is good? These six things the Lord hates. Well, if he hates them, so should I, and so should you. Seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, you know why he hates pride? Because he loves humility. A lying tongue, you know why he hates a lying tongue? Because he's truthful. Hands that shed innocent blood, you know why he hates murder and killing? Because he's for life. A heart that divides wicked imaginations, you know why? Because he's not devious. He hates that because he's not devious. A heart that divides wicked imaginations. Okay, feet that runs in, running to mischief. He's not mischievous. You see, a false witness. He doesn't like that. Why does he hate that? Because he is, his testimony is true. That speaks lies. And he that sows discord among brethren is the seventh one. Whew. Did you hear that? You know why he hates that? Because he stands for unity. So anyone that sows discord among brethren hmm, does not like it. He hates it. We should be promoting each other's spiritual health and development and growth. Amen? Okay, the next one. Is my, are my thoughts and attitudes changing for the better? Look at Ephesians 4.23. Are my thoughts and attitudes? Now, your attitudes and thoughts, this is from the Living Bible, must all be constantly changing for the better. Is my thinking changing for the better? Are my attitudes changing for the better? Once again, if I'm saved, see, we're talking about knowing I'm saved and aligning ourselves with the will of God. So I'm promoting my spiritual growth and development. Well, are they changing for the better? They should be if they're not. And then finally, look at the last one. Do I measure my conduct by the standard of God's word? This is for young people and for all of us really alike. In Psalm 119 and verse 9, look at what it says from the International Standard Version of the Bible. How could a young man keep his behavior pure? By hanging out <clears throat> with the wrong guys. <clears throat> no. By guarding it in accordance with your word. In other words, putting it to the test. Lining it up with what Scripture teaches. 
That's how a young man will cleanse his way and keep his behavior pure. So in conclusion, what are we talking about? We're talking about examining ourselves to locate where we're at. Examining ourselves to be certain that we're promoting our spiritual growth and development. Examine ourselves to be sure that we're aligning ourselves up with the will of God for our lives as we live as ambassadors here upon this earth and being certain that we're not critical of other people. Notice what he said. Examine whom? Yourself. Hallelujah. Amen. I know this is one of those shouting messages that we get so thrilled about and excited. Well, whoever gets excited about taking a test or an exam? Come on up here. Anybody? But you know what? We need it. Can you say amen? Do we need it? We need it. And it's personal. I should do it for myself and you should do it for yourself. Put yourself to the test. Let this upcoming year be one where you put yourself to the test. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, If you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. With that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sounds. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.